So my parents recently set off their house alarm by accident. And my parents are actually here, so they didn't know I was going to tell this story. I hope that's okay. So there was no intruder this time, and thankfully, they were able to disarm the system before the cops and the fire trucks descended on their house to apprehend this imaginary invader. But I share this image with you to make a very simple point. We want security systems in our homes for a reason. We want our smoke detectors to have fresh batteries for a reason. We want our credit card companies to have fraud detection for a reason. We don't care if 99% of the time we don't need any of these things or if sometimes we set them off by accident. We still want them there. We still want those safeguards in place. Why? Because we want to be warned when something isn't right. It's in our best interest to know if there is an intruder in our home, or if something is on fire, or if someone is on a spending spree in Hawaii with our credit card. We see the obvious value in being warned about all of those things. But what about the state of our immortal souls? In our first reading today, God appoints the prophet Ezekiel to do just that. He is the watchman for the house of Israel, which means that Ezekiel is sort of like Israel's very own home security system. He is the alarm that's supposed to go off when something isn't right. Namely, when Israel is wandering away from the God whom they should love above all else. If he fails to sound that alarm, then the prophet Ezekiel is the one who is at fault. We hear in our first reading, If you do not speak out, Ezekiel, the wicked shall die for his guilt, but I will hold you responsible for his death. If, on the other hand, Ezekiel does sound the alarm, and those inside the house of Israel choose to do nothing about it, then really he's done all that he could do. Quote, he shall die for his guilt, but you, Ezekiel, shall save yourself. We see the same principle at work in our gospel today, where Jesus says, point blank, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. First on a one-on-one -on -one basis. We don't run to Facebook and post about it there, right? Then with a few other witnesses to clarify what exactly happened. And then with the wider church community. If your brother listens, good. If he does not, then let him walk away. We might hear this and wonder, well, what happened to judge not lest ye be judged? Why is Jesus now telling his disciples to point out one another's faults? But hold on. If you crack open your Bible, 
and look at what immediately precedes the passage that we heard today from the Gospel of Matthew, you will find that right there is the beautiful and familiar image of that merciful shepherd who is willing to leave the 99 in search of that one lost sheep. That's the interpretive lens we ought to bring to our passage today. Jesus is not telling us that we have to go around finger-pointing and condemning and criticizing and nitpicking our neighbors until they're perfect. Rather, he's telling us to have a compassionate heart, a heart that actively seeks out the straying sheep. Jesus knows better than anyone else that when we wander off from his flock, when we wander from his church and from his sacraments, we become vulnerable and defenseless. We become very easy prey for all of those wolves that are in our world today and always. It is the church's responsibility, therefore, to be the watchman, to be that alarm system that sounds the warning you're getting yourself lost. Come back. You belong here. We want you here. Worshiping with us here. The bottom line is this. We are responsible for one another. Not only to our friends and our family members who we have been entrusted with in a more obvious way, but also all Christians and even the whole world. Remember, Jesus says in another place, you are the light of the world. What does light do but expose and scatter darkness, even the darkness of sin? If a brother sins against you, tell him, shine a light on that darkness. Help him to see his error so that he has an opportunity to turn back and to love God. Notice Jesus does not say, if someone is doing something wrong, nag them to death until they inevitably hate the church. Nor does Jesus say, if anyone ever commits a sin, make them feel like they're a terrible person that God couldn't possibly love. No, not at all. We don't have the right to condemn anyone. So our correction should always be done strategically and with the sincerest love. Like those alarm systems in our houses, we only alert our neighbor to what's going wrong for their own good and for the good of the entire church because we are one body and what one member does affects the others. Now at this point, many of you probably have someone specific in mind. Someone whom you sincerely love. Someone that is one of those lost sheep that has wandered off. And maybe you're asking yourself, well, what can I do for them? How can I help bring them back? First, just take a deep breath and pray. Pray for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. 
Pray for the humility to confess your own faults and failings to the Lord. Pray for good opportunities to have honest and humble conversations with whoever this is. Pray for the grace that you need to stay calm, gentle, and level-headed. Pray that God helps you to listen, to understand where they're coming from. Pray that God helps that person to hear what you have to say without feeling attacked. The Holy Spirit will give you the right words. Second, do your homework. Understand why the church teaches what she teaches on whatever subject there happens to be disagreement or conflict. The church wants what's best for us. The church is always looking for us to thrive and to be fully alive in the Lord. It's up to us, though, to have that firm grasp on why the teachings of the church really are good news. Not attacks, not limitations on people's freedom. Third and finally, and this one's hard, let this person have the space they need to make a free choice. There's no use trying to nag someone into holiness. And why would we ever want to anyways? God himself never forces us to love him. He wants joyful, free children on fire with the love of the Holy Spirit, not cold, hard robots who happen to follow a couple of rules. We have to be okay with rejection, but we absolutely cannot be okay with our own indifference and apathy. By our silence, we're basically saying, you know, it's okay that you don't really care about what's most important in life. We might pretend that we're being merciful, but when it boils down to it, mercy is the opposite of ignoring sin. When Jesus was on the cross, he was not ignoring our sins. They were crucified there. He loves us that much. He cares about what sin does to us that much. He wants us to be that holy that much. Jesus is the perfect watchman. And his view is from the cross, where he prays for us sinners. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. His perch upon the cross is not one of condemnation, but salvation. And from that lofty watchtower, he says to each one of us, I can see all of your sins. Don't worry about trying to hide them from me. I'm going to be brutally honest with them and with you. In fact, those sins are what hold me to this cross. They have done this to me, but I willingly bear them anyways in order to free you and to give you life. I love you just as you are, but you can't stay as you are. I want to help you grow and become holy like me, become who you were created 
to be. So repent. Turn away from your former ways. Put that stuff behind you. Believe and follow me. That is the love which fulfills the law. That's the love that that gently corrects us. The love that draws us back every time we stray away. The love that takes away every sin from the world. 